Chapter One, Part Two of the Mysteries of Paris, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Mysteries of Paris by Eugène Sue. Chapter One, Part Two. Rodolph knew too well how to support his princely dignity to allow his feelings to interfere with the courtesy and affability required on the present occasion added to which the world gave m de saint-remy as a favoured lover to the duchess de lucenay and this circumstance greatly excited the curiosity of rodolph the viscount de saint-remy conducted by the count de Blanc, now approached he was an exceedingly handsome young man of about twenty-five years of age tall and slender with the most distingué air and prepossessing physiognomy his olive complexion had that rich soft glow of amber cast over its transparent surface so remarkable in the paintings of murillo his glossy black hair parted over his left temple was worn smooth over his forehead and fell in light and easy curls down the sides of his face almost concealing the pale well-shaped ear the deep dark eyelash contrasted well with the clear eye it shaded the crystal of which was tinged with that blue cast which bestows so much and such charming expression to the indian eye by a singular caprice of nature the thick silky moustache which graced his lip was the only ornament of a similar description visible on his countenance the chin and cheeks being smooth as those of a young maiden perhaps it might be vanity which dictated the narrow black satin cravat placed so low as to reveal the perfect contour of a throat which for whiteness and symmetrical roundness might have furnished a model for the artist's studio the long ends of his cravat were confined by a single pearl inestimable for its size the beauty of its shape and the splendour of its colour so vivid that an opal could scarcely have rivalled its continued prismatic changes the perfect taste and the exquisite style of m de saint-remy harmonised well with the magnificent simplicity of this jewel once seen the face and figure of m de saint-remy was never forgotten so entirely did it differ from the usual style of élégant he spared no expense in procuring the most faultless turnout and his carriages and horses were everywhere cited as models of taste and correct judgment he played high but skilfully while the annual amount of his betting-book was never less than from two to three thousand louis the costly elegance of his mansion in the rue du chaillot was everywhere spoken of and admired there he gave the most exquisite dinner-parties the highest play followed and the hospitable host would lose large and heavy sums with the most perfect indifference though it was known that his fortune had been dissipated long ago all the viscount's property had been derived from his mother while his father lived in utter seclusion in the wilds of anjou upon an income of the most slender description by way of accounting for the unbounded expenditure of m de saint-remy many among the envious or ill-natured referred as sarah had done to the large fortune of the duchess de lucenay but they forgot that setting aside the infamy of the idea m de lucenay would naturally direct the disposal of his wife's property and that m de saint-remy's annual expenses were at least two hundred thousand francs suspicions were entertained of his being deeply indebted to imprudent money-lenders for saint-remy had no further inheritance to look forward to others again spoke of his great successes on the turf and hinted in an undertone dark stories of training-grounds and jockeys bribed by him to make the horses against which he had betted largely lose but by far the greater number of the crowd by which saint-remy was surrounded was content to eat his dinners and occasionally to win his rouleau 
without troubling themselves with conjectures as to how the one was provided and where the other came from by birth and education he was fully entitled to the rank he occupied in the fashionable world he was lively witty brave a most amusing companion obliging and complacent to the wishes of others he gave first-rate bachelor dinners and afterwards took every bet that was offered him what more was required to secure his popularity he was an universal favourite with the fair sex and could boast the most unvaried success in all his love affairs he was young handsome gallant and unsparingly munificent upon all occasions where opportunities occurred of marking his devotion towards the high-bred females with whom he associated in the grand monde in a word thanks to the general infatuation he excited the air of mystery thrown over the source of the pactolus from which he derived his golden supplies rather embellished him with a certain mysterious charm which seemed but to add to his attractions sometimes it would be said with a careless smile what a fellow that saint-remy is he must have discovered the philosopher's stone to be able to go to the pace he does and when it was known that he had caused himself to be attached to the legation of france to the court of gerolstein there were not wanting voices to assert that it was a devilish good way of making an honourable retreat such was m de saint-remy allow me said the count de blanc presenting m de saint-remy to introduce to your royal highness the viscount de saint-remy attached to the embassy of gerolstein the viscount bowed profoundly saying may i trust your royal highness with deign to pardon my impatience in requesting the honour of this introduction during the present evening i am perhaps unduly hasty in my wishes to secure a gratification i have so long aspired to it will give me much pleasure my lord to welcome you to gerolstein do you propose going thither immediately your royal highness being in paris diminishes very materially my desire to do so i fear the peaceful contrast of our german courts will scarcely assort with a life of parisian fashion such as you have always been accustomed to permit me to assure your royal highness that the gracious kindness you have now shown me and which it shall be my study to merit a continuance of in gerolstein would of itself far outweigh any attractions paris may have had for me it will not be my fault my lord should you see cause to alter your sentiments when at gerolstein a slight inclination of rodolph's head announced that the presentation was concluded upon which the viscount bowed and retired the prince a practised physiognomist was subject to involuntary likes and dislikes upon the first interview with an individual and these impulses were in his case almost invariably borne out by after circumstances his first sensation after the exchange of the very few words we have related between himself and saint-remy was an unaccountable feeling of repugnance and aversion for the gay and fascinating young man to his eye the handsome features wore a sinister look and danger seemed to lurk even in his honeyed words and smooth polished manner we shall hereafter meet m de saint-remy under circumstances differing widely and fearfully from the splendour of the position he occupied at his first interview with rodolph it will then be seen how far these presentiments were ill or well founded the presentation over rodolph in deep meditation upon the singular rencontre effected by the hand of chance bent his steps toward the winter garden it was now the hour of supper and the rooms were nearly deserted the most retired spot in the hothouse was at the end of a clump of trees placed against the corner of a wall and an enormous banana covered with climbing plants effectually concealed a small side door masked by the trellis and conducting to the banqueting hall by a long corridor this door which was scarcely a yard distant from the tree above mentioned had been left temporarily ajar 
sheltered by this verdant screen rodolph seated himself and was soon lost in a profound reverie when the sound of a well-known voice pronouncing his name made rodolph start it was sarah who seated with her brother tom on the other side of the clump of trees which effectually hid rodolph from their view was conversing with him in the english language the prince listened attentively and the following dialogue ensued the marquise has just gone to show herself for a few minutes at baron de nerval's ball said sarah she has luckily quitted this place without once having an opportunity of exchanging a word with rodolph who has been looking everywhere for her i still dread the influence he possesses over her even unknown to herself an influence it has cost me so much labour and difficulty to combat and partly to destroy however to-morrow will rid me of any further fears of a rival who if not effectually destroyed might so powerfully derange and overthrow my plans listen to me brother for it is of serious matters i would speak to you to-morrow witnesses the eternal ruin of my hated rival you are mistaken sarah answered tom's well-remembered voice odolph never loved the marquise of that i am certain your jealous fears mislead you it is time returned sarah that i enlightened you on this subject many things occurred during your last journey and as it is necessary to take decisive steps even earlier than i had expected nay this very night so soon as we quit this place it becomes indispensably necessary we should take serious counsel together happily we are now quite alone for the gay butterflies of the night have found fresh attraction around the supper-tables now then brother give your close and undivided attention to what i am about to say proceed i am all impatience well before clemence d'harville met rodolph i feel assured the passion of love was wholly unknown to her for what reason i have never been able to discover she entertains the most invincible repugnance and aversion towards her husband who perfectly adores her there is some deep mystery in this part of the business i have never succeeded in fathoming a thousand new and delightful emotions sprang up in the breast of clemence after she became acquainted with rodolph but i stifled her growing love by the most frightful disclosures or rather ingeniously invented calumnies concerning the prince still the void in her heart required an object to fill it and chance having thrown m charles robert in her way during a morning call she was making at my house she appeared struck with his appearance much after the manner in which we are attracted by a fine picture unfortunately however this man is as silly as he is handsome though he certainly has a very prepossessing tout ensemble i praised him enthusiastically to madame d'harville exalted the nobleness of his sentiments the elevation of his mind and as i knew her weak side i worked upon her sympathy and pity by representing him as loaded with every trouble and affliction unrelenting fate could heap upon a devoted but most innocent head i directed m robert to assume a melancholy and sentimental air to utter only deep sighs and to preserve a gloomy and unbroken silence in the presence of madame d'harville he carefully pursued the path marked out by me and thanks to his vocal skill his fine person and the constant expression of silent suffering so far engaged the interest of madame d'harville that ere long she transferred to my handsome friend the warm and sympathizing regard rodolph had first awakened do you comprehend me thus far perfectly proceed madame d'harville and robert met only upon terms of intimacy at my house to draw them more effectually together i projected devoting three mornings in the week to music and my mournful ally sighed softly as the breath of evening while turning over the leaves of the music 
ventured to utter a few impassioned words and even to slip two or three billets among the pieces he copied out for the marquise to practise at home i own i was more fearful of his epistolary efforts than even his powers of speech but a woman always looks indulgently upon the first declaration of love she receives so far therefore the written nonsense of my silly pupil did no harm for in obedience to my advice his billets doux were very laconic the great point was to obtain a rendezvous and this was no easy matter for clemence's principles were stronger than her love or rather her passion was not sufficiently deep to induce her to sacrifice those principles unknown even to herself the image of rodolph still filled her heart and seemed in a manner to preserve her from yielding to her weak fancy for m charles robert a fancy as i well knew far more imaginary than real but led on by my continual and exaggerated praises of this brainless apollo whom i persisted in describing as suffering under the daily increase of every imaginary evil i could invent clemence vanquished by the deep despair of her dejected adorer consented one day more from pity than love to grant him the rendezvous so long desired did she then make you her confidant she confessed to me her regard for m charles robert nothing more neither did i seek to learn more it would have annoyed and vexed her but as for him boiling over with love or rather intoxicated with pride he came voluntarily to impart his good fortune without however entrusting me either with the time or place of the intended meeting how then did you know it why karl by my order hovered about the door of m robert during the following day from an early hour nothing however transpired till the next day when our love-stricken youth proceeded in a fiacre to an obscure part of the town and finally alighted before a mean-looking house in the rue du temple there he remained for an hour and a half when he came out and walked away karl waited a long while to see whether any person followed m charles robert out of the house but no one came the marquise had evidently failed in her appointment this was confirmed to me on the morrow when the lover came to pour out all his rage and disappointment i advised him to assume even an increase of wretchedness and despair the plan succeeded the pity of clemence was again excited a fresh assignation was wrung from her but which she failed to keep equally with the former the third and last rendezvous however produced more decided effects madame d'harville positively going as far as the door of the house i have specified as the appointed place then repenting so rash a step returned home without having even quitted the humble fiacre in which she rode you may judge by all these capricious changes of purpose how this woman struggled to be free and wherefore why because and hence arises my bitter deadly hatred to clemence d'harville because the recollection of rodolphe still lingers in her heart and with pertinacious love she shrinks from aught that she fancies breeze of preference for another thus shielding herself from harm or danger beneath his worshipped image now this very night the marquise has made a fresh assignation with m charles robert for to-morrow and this time i doubt not her punctuality the duc de lucenay has so grossly ridiculed this young man that carried away by pity for the humiliation of her admirer the marquise has granted that to compassion he would not else have obtained but this time i feel persuaded she will keep her word and be punctual to the appointed time and hour and how do you propose to act m charles robert is so perfectly unable to comprehend the delicacy of feeling which this evening dictated the marquise's resolution of meeting him 
that he is safe to rush with vulgar eagerness to the rendezvous and this will effectually ruin his plans for pity alone has instigated clemence to take this compromising step no love no infatuation has hurried her into a measure so fatal to her future resolution i know every turn of her mind and i am confident she will keep her appointment solely from a courageous idea of generous devotion but with a firm resolve not for one instant to forget her duties as a wife and mother now the coarse vulgar mind of m charles robert is sure to take the fullest advantage of the marquise's concession in his favour clemence will detest him from that instant and the illusion once destroyed which has bound herself and charles robert in bonds of imaginary sympathy she will fall again beneath the influence of her love for rodolph which i am certain still nestles in her heart well well i would have her for ever lost to rodolph whose high sense of honour and deep friendship for m d'harville i feel perfectly sure would not have proved equal to preventing his returning the love of clemence but i will so manage things that he shall henceforward look upon her with loathing and disgust as the guilty partner in a crime committed without his participation no no i know my man he might pardon the offence but never the being excluded from his share in it then do you propose apprising the husband of all that is going on so that the prince should learn the disgraceful circumstances from the publicity the affair would obtain i do and the thing is so much easier to accomplish as from what fell from clemence to-night i can learn that the marquis has vague and undefined suspicions without knowing on whom to fix them it is now midnight we shall almost directly leave the ball i will set you down at the first cafe we meet with whence you shall write m d'harville a minute account of his wife's love affair with the projected assignation of to-morrow with the time and place where it is arranged to take place oh but i forgot i didn't state that the place of meeting is number seventeen rue du temple and the time to-morrow at one o'clock the marquis is already jealous of clemence well he will be by this information surprise her under most suspicious circumstances the rest follows as a matter of course but this is a most abominable mode of action said satan coldly what my trusty and well-behaved brother and colleague growing scrupulous said sarah sarcastically this will never do suppose my modes of action are odious so be it i trample on all and everything that interferes with my designs agreed i do i shall till i have secured my purpose but let me ask you who thought of scruples when my destruction was aimed at who thought of me or my feelings let me ask you how have i been treated say no more sister say no more here is my hand and you may safely reckon upon my firm participation in all that concerns you even to writing the letter to m d'harville but still i say and repeat such conduct is horrible never mind sermonizing but say do you consent fully and entirely to what i wish you or do you not ay or nay since it must be so m d'harville shall this night be fully instructed as to all his wife's proceedings but what is that i fancied i heard some one on the other side of this thicket there was a rustling of leaves and branches said satan interrupting himself and speaking to sarah in a low and suppressed voice for heaven's sake cried sarah uneasily don't stop to talk about it but quick and examine the other side of this place satan rose made the tour of the clump of trees but saw no one rodolph had just disappeared by the side door of which we have before spoken i must have made a mistake said satan returning 
there is no appearance of any persons but ourselves being in this place i thought there could not possibly be now then sarah hear what i have to say on the subject of madame d'harville who i feel quite satisfied you make an object of unnecessary apprehension as far as it would be possible for her to interfere with your schemes the prince moreover has certain principles nothing would induce him to infringe i am infinitely more alarmed and with greater justice too as to what can have been his intentions in conducting that young girl to his farm at bouqueval five or six weeks ago he is constant in his superintendence of her health and comfort is having her well educated and moreover has been several times to see her now we are altogether ignorant who she is or where she came from she seems however to belong only to the humbler ranks of society still the exquisite style of her beauty the fact of the prince having worn the disguise he did when escorting her to the farm the increasing interest he seems to take in her welfare all go to prove that his regard for her is of no common description i have therefore in this affair anticipated your wishes but to remove this greater and as i believe more serious obstacle to our plans the utmost circumspection was requisite to obtain information respecting the lives and habits of these mysterious occupants of the farm and particularly concerning the girl herself i have been fortunate enough to learn nearly sufficient to point out what is to be done the moment for action has arrived a most singular chance threw that horrid old woman in my way to whom as you remember i once gave my address which she it seems has carefully preserved her connection with such persons as the robber who attacked us during our late visit to the cite will powerfully assist us all is provided for and preconsidered there can be no proof against us and besides if as seems evident this young creature belongs to the humblest class of society it is not very probable she will hesitate between our offers and the splendid prospects she may perchance picture to herself for the prince i have ascertained has preserved a strict incognito towards her but to-morrow shall decide the question otherwise we shall see we shall see and these two obstacles overcome then tom for our grand project there are many and serious obstacles in the way still they may be overcome and would it not be lucky chance if we could bring it to pass at the very moment when rodolph would be writhing under the double misery occasioned by the disclosure of madame d'harville's conduct and the disappearance of the creature for whom he chooses to evince so deep an interest would not that be an auspicious moment to persuade him that the daughter whose loss he daily more and more deplores still lives and then silence sister interrupted satan i hear the steps of the guests from the supper-table returning to resume the ball since you deem it expedient to apprise the marquis d'harville of the morrow's rendezvous let us depart it is past midnight the lateness of the hour in which the anonymous information will reach m d'harville will but tend still more to impress him with an idea of its importance and with these words tom and sarah quitted the splendid ball of the ambassadress of the court of blank End of chapter one part two read by Celine Major.